everyone, I'm Rianne LaPere from the National Network for Equitable Library Service, and you're listening to the AT Banter Podcast. Hey, and welcome to another episode of AT Banter. Banter, banter. Oh, the sweet sound of that banter banter. Hey, this is, of course, the <laughs> podcast where we talk with advocates and members of the disability community to educate and inspire better conversation about disability. Hey, my name is Rob Minot, and joining us today, Mr. Steve Barkley. Sponsored by Domino's. No, I'm not. It's just, <laughs> just, a, it's just a dream. It's just a dream. Well, listen, we may have a new show sponsor, but we'll tell you about that later. Uh, hey, we also here is uh, is Mr. Ryan Flurry. Hey, everyone. Uh, and of course, the lovely, the talented. She didn't pay me to say that, Miss Liz Malone. Uh, don't believe them when they say that cauliflower crust is only made of cauliflower. I just want to point that out. What? Yeah, really? that's my big spoiler for this week. Oh, that's the next topic for next that's, month's episode. That's a little. That's that's a little bit scandalous. It is. Uh, we may have to talk off mic about that's that. That's like Subway that saying would... there's tuna and there's subs and there isn't. Yeah. Well, not that I would ever have a cauliflower crust pizza, anyways. But <laughs> Rob's like, I'm a descendant of Hansel and Gretel, so no, I'm never Hansel ever. And Gretel. <laughs> my people died for gingerbread houses. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Uh, hey, so yeah, Steve. So you've been away for a few weeks. Uh, what uh, you've been on, out on vacation? How's how's that been going? It's it's been going great. I was over in beautiful Euclid, British Columbia. Uh, spell that if you can. Um, yeah. And uh, spent uh, the last two weeks uh, going out every day and uh, fishing for salmon, halibut, and uh, whatever else we could find. And I now have a freezer full of fish, and I'm very happy. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I'm here, here for another couple of days, and then I pack up and head off on family camping trip for another week in beautiful Golden Ears, British Columbia, where mm. it is just outside of cell range. At least I hope it's still out, just outside of cell range, because it's very <laughs> relaxing when nobody can get you. But don't you find now going camping, isn't it weird now that, because everywhere you go, like there's there's obviously, a, you know, fire bans everywhere, so you can't really have a campfire. Isn't it, is it kind of weird to, to camp and, and not be able to have a campfire? Well, we've got one of those propane rings, you know, the the campfire rings. So we take that out with us. We're, we're always prepared for there being a, a fire ban. Um, so, yeah, no, not really. It, it, it does good enough. The only thing you don't want to do on those things is probably roast your marshmallows because, you know, you're doing it directly over top of fossil oh. fuels. But, you know. <laughs> oh, see, I would totally have done that. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm sure you can do it five, six times before you die yeah. of cancer. So. <laughs> Great. Okay, perfect. This is, this is why my people were not a long-lived. <laughs> they, they didn't just die of being stuffed into a witch's oven. They also died of cholesterol. That's right. <laughs> Uh, what else? Hey, so does anybody want to apologize to the audience for last week's episode? No, because it was awesome. It was fantastic. <laughs> I listened to it a second time and oh it still blew, blew mulk out my nose. It was hilarious. <laughs> it was hilarious. Everybody go and listen to it. No. Okay. Well, whatever. Okay. Well, I'm great. glad. Well, listen, we have one fan. Absolutely. We have one fan. So, and you got, you, we doubled our downloads because you'd listened to it twice. So exactly. Thanks for that. 
<laughs> our analytics are <laughs> off the charts. It's now. rare I laugh that hard. It was funny. <laughs> oh, I gotta listen to this thing. Now. Yeah. Well, then there you go. We're gonna triple our. our <laughs> Steve's gonna listen to it and share it with all his friends. Right. Well, it's come on. Let's not get crazy. It's still gonna top out at three. Uh, <laughs> what do you say? He has no friends. So, uh, that was the that was the subtext to that, Ryan. Oh, sorry. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I kid. Uh, all right. Enough nonsense. Hey, let's find out what the heck we're doing today. Hey, Ryan. Yeah, Rob. Uh, what the heck are we doing today? Today, we are joined by singer, songwriter, author, motivational speaker, and father, Mario Bonds from mabspeaks.com. Welcome, Mario. Thank you. Thank you for the, uh, for the invite, and thank you for the welcome. <laughs> Glad to have you. Yeah, we are very excited to have you. Um, geez, where to start? You are a man of many talents, sir. But maybe we can just start with giving us uh, just a, a brief bit of background about yourself. We'll start from there. Well, sounds good. Well, yeah, I am Mario Bonds. I, I do. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I am a, a jack of all trades, if you will, or you could say that I am a man of many personalities, but it is uh, permissible personalities, none that uh, is medical <laughs> in, the entertainment, in the entertainment space. Um, I am uh, totally blind, having have gone blind, totally blind by the age of nine. So I was born with a very rare eye disease called morning glory syndrome. Um, and I have a rarer form of it in the sense that I have it in both eyes. So I went blind in my right eye when I was age five. And for four years, I had my left eye as my best friend. And everyone was on the, the, uh, the, the project, as I call it, to prepare Mario for total blindness because total blindness is inevitable. Um, morning glory syndrome deteriorates the optic nerve and detaches the retinas. And there's... They really didn't know what they were doing in the 90s, you know, with me being a 90s baby. And so long story made short, after several failed surgeries, um, I was left totally blind at the age of nine. Um, and with that followed three years of a lot of rebellion, because I was convinced in my world that all these sighted people, that the sighted cult, right, those who are left in it, were responsible for me being blind, right? There's no real humble way for a kid to you know, lose the ability to do what we would call typical rites of passage. Like I was used to riding bikes and playing video games and, you know, watching the Simpsons and pretending I was the green power ranger, much to my grandmother's chagrin. I went to yeah. the hospital a few times for doing that, honestly. Um, but from age nine to age 12, I hated school. I hated everything. I hated Braille. I hated canes. I hated anything that had to do with, with, you know, being blind. I would still will myself to see at least I thought that's what I was doing until I would end up having a lot of injuries or falling over desk, et cetera. Um, and then at some point, there were some teachers who in Fairfax County, Virginia, turned my life around and, and, and you know, showed me that, you know, my family's destitution and the, you know, abusive turbulence I had at home and being totally blind, et cetera, were not excuses to fail. Um, and that, you know, they were handing me survival tools and that I should grab onto them if, if I was ever going to be an independent human being one day. Um, quickly discovered that technology was a language I understood. Um, and I fell in love with it, with, it fell in love with education, right? And so much so that, you know, you go from being a kid that's rebellious and doesn't want to do anything from being blind to learning assistive technology. And then the school system using you to teach other blind kids how to use assistive technology with no paycheck. I need to get some retroactive pay from Fairfax County. Um, but with that being said, made it to high school. 
Um, I went to uh, George Mason University and received a degree in journalism um, and worked for the U.S. government for a bit before um, being able to fall into what was my second love. Um, I believe music has healing powers, and I fell into uh, music, um, was casted for a reality show called The Glee Project, and after that, um, I was signed by the American Program Bureau um, as a motivational speaker, which, um, I don't know, I'll say this really quickly, it was a very humbling experience because, um, you know, you guys under understand this, that as a blind person, I hardly ever see Braille these days because all the devices talk. Um, and becoming a motivational speaker, I remember my first event was with Gulfstream Aerospace, and they make business jets. Um, and they they said we have a student leadership program for at-risk youth, and we'd like for you to come and you know and talk to 600 high schoolers about how they should hold on. And at 24, 25 years old, I, I had you know I was nervous, right? Because I I didn't I didn't see Braille that often, right? So to be able to read Braille and sound extemporaneous and deliver a message and let alone, you know, keep 600 high school students interested in what you're talking about was it was a difficult experience. But I bring this up to say the following. Uh, I believe every there should be purpose in all we do. Um, after that event, a 16 year old boy uh, came up to me uh, who had witnessed his father murder his mother. And he told me that, you know, listening to my story, which, you know, I, I think this kid just in, in that one description, it experienced far worse than I, I ever went through you. Right. I, you know, went through homelessness, abandonment, abuse and going blind. But hearing my story, despite the horror that he had lived through, was enough to inspire him to keep going. And that's when I realized that I had absolute purpose. There's no better purpose in life than to be that type of escapism for somebody else. So that, in a nutshell, is uh, is Mario Bonds. <laughs> Although there's a lot more to it, but that right. is a that is a a, a general introductory of, of of who I am and and why I am. It we we hear stories all the time about people who have gone through that sort of vision loss journey and how it's 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 so very different for for every person almost always it's a, a, for as negative as it may be for for a time period it usually always is a transformative one that puts you on a path that you never would have expected yeah yeah and, and i honestly and i think that's the that's the gift of it all right because sure I, if i had you know the option i would love to be able to see but i live you know people say well how do you you know find you know, to have a great smile, right? Because blindness is only one thing in the in the card of adversities that life might have thrown thrown at you. Um, but I find just that, right? It it is the hand that I've been dealt, and I realize that you know, with the help of these individuals, that I have to play the hell out of the hand that I've gotten because being miserable takes too much energy. There are a lot of blind people that would say, "I would never trade my blindness." for sightedness, you know, if I had the choice. You know what? I, it's funny you say that because I'm totally blind. But, you know, the reverse of that is I have a lot of sighted people who tell me that they're glad I can't see myself because I'd be conceited. And I say, well, <laughs> like, I don't know if that's like a reverse of the same thing. <laughs> it's it's kind of like, and I say, well, I say, well, what in the hell do you mean by that? Well, I feel like that if you could see us, you would say you guys can't sit with me. 
I said, I'm a wonderful guy, you know, th that kind of thing. So I, I think it's interesting. But no, to your point, I wouldn't trade. I wouldn't trade the experience. And y you know, I, I, you, you guys mentioned in, in, in the uh, in in the intro about me um, being an author. It's interesting that the book called Without Sight but Full of Vision that was that started off as a two year journal that I was doing because it was cathartic, right? I needed to get over pains of my father abandoning me. It took me two years to write it. I needed to get over the death of, you know, uh, not having a mother, you know, being raised by a grandmother, you know, permitted aunts and uncles to abuse us. You know, I, I, there were a lot of things that I had to come to terms with. And then once it was over, I realized that it did not read as a laundry list of look at all of the horrible things that were done to Mario, but instead, the blindness included, read that these are the things that were if you will, obstacles in my way, and here I stand, despite. And so that's when it turned into, you know, the idea to say, you know, without sight, but full of vision, right? Because I still have a, have a vision, still have a purpose. And that's what I try to encourage other people to do at the, at, at the same time. Now, I'm pretty sure you guys have come across other blind people where it's like, well, man, what happened? You're not like the rest of us. You should believe in yourself and keep going. What's going on? Um, you know, you come across it all, but for me to come from the rebellious blind person who, you know, I, I'll tell you guys that this, it was, I remember I still had a little bit of vision. I was, I was nine years old. I still had a little bit of vision. The, the blindness switch hadn't clicked on yet. And I had this, my O&M instructor, you know, mobility instructor walks in the room. Her name was Miss Barnes. She had this cool accent, right? Cause I always loved accents. She goes, well, Mario. I got a special instrument for you that I want to introduce you to today. And I loved music. So I'm like, okay, a special instrument. This is wonderful. You know, what is it going to be? And then she pulls out a cane. I really didn't know what it was yet. Although I could see that it was like, you know, several tubular shaped things folded together with this sort of black thing that I didn't know whether it was rubber or what. And she handed it to me and it dawned on me that this wasn't an instrument. And so it's on my school record that at nine years old, I threw it back at her at a different rage. I was too stubborn for my own good. Um, I don't throw things at people today, um, quite frankly. <laughs> that was just that that showed you that transformative piece that you're talking about, that it was like I didn't want anything that had to do with the representation of being blind. And now I'm like, look, we are, we blind people can do anything. I don't necessarily appreciate a Lyft driver congratulating me for being able to open the door on my own. But it was transformative. <laughs> we can do anything. <laughs> I, I feel like anger is a, a very natural response um, to the beginning of that journey. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, it was even to, even on the process of prepare Mario for total blindness. I didn't. I didn't care that I was writing outside of the lines on large paper. You know, large print paper. I mean, at least it was still legible. You guys could see what I was. You know what I was writing, my O&M instructor would, would, would show up and, you know, I wouldn't know she's there because I still had a little bit of vision and she'd yell at, why are you walking around holding on the arms of the other students? You should be practicing using your cane. And I'm like, will you just please quit? <laughs> Not quit me, but quit your job, please. I don't want to use that cane. The anger piece of it is, we can call it anger, um, Steve, Ryan, Liz, Rob, but it's also it's also cloaked in a deep, 
deep-seated denial as well, right? Disbelief, issue with acceptance, right? That's why I said that I tried to will myself to still see, right? And, and I remember in, in willing myself to see, you know, I was so sure I saw my seat and then I, you know, fell over a desk and then, you know, the whole classroom, you know, broke into laughter, which was interspersed with, you know, I'm in a, you know, the, the, the school that's in the deep ghetto. So it's interspersed with, ah, ah, ah. And I, you know, that fool fell on the floor. What is he blind? You know, that kind of thing, you know, but because I was so desperately trying to will myself into a reality that didn't exist for me anymore. Well, you know, that situation that you described, it's, it's, it sounds horrifically painful as, as a child. And what's interesting is that I, I'm even just thinking about my own situation when, when, I, when my vision started to, uh, started to, to go, that it happened as an adult and it's, mm. It's really crappy that adults can be just as cruel as other kids. The treating you like a child, treating you like you're, you're you know, you now you're now you're completely useless in this world. Um, you know, losing all confidence in you, um, having that be your identity, kind of whispering behind your back and thinking that you you know that you're 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 all of a sudden completely unaware of things that are happening around you. And um, so I, it's 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 the the people that you're surrounded with play such a huge part in that process of the acceptance and being able to start to learn to um, to adapt. Yeah, and and I look at things, and, and thank you for that because I'll be honest, I say this to people all the time. I actually thank God all the time that I went blind at the age that I did specifically be you know because of individuals that are in your case i as a blind person am always filled with a deeper a deeper sense of empathy because i feel like losing it later in life as an adult i feel like there's a greater sense of loss experience than say that albeit what i lost as a child was monumental to me and, and you know was paramount but there's a greater sense of loss considering that there's a greater degree of independence that shifts when you lose it as an adult, right? I, I didn't have to, you know, lose the experience of driving a car, et cetera, albeit I wish I could drive one now. And those self-driving cars, they're going to have to be on the market for 25 years before I get in one. <laughs> won't be me. Investigators say a blind person in his car has 495 shut down. Uh -uh, won't be me. <laughs> I, I I'm full of empathy. Um, you know, when I when I when I look at that, you know, because because again, I, I see it as as a um, as a greater sense of loss. And definitely, I think community uh, community is really important, right? Because you have people. The point I was going to go to, like, you know, I think about my grandmother in terms of how how important community is, right? And in, in, in acceptance. Um, my grandmother was the oldest of seventeen. And she, you know, had to stay home and work on the farm. And so she dropped out of school in the ninth grade. So her education wasn't deep. But when the, I live in Prince George's County, Maryland, that's where we lived. And when the school system came to her and said, look, you know, Mario's a mess. You know, he's, he's a troublemaker. Um, and that's what they had me labeled as. And he's not going to be successful in life unless you send him to um, a school for the blind. And this, this gets into the advocacy piece of it. And my grandmother, who didn't have that deep seat education and wasn't an eloquent woman in, in speech, but she said, no, I don't want to do that. I want him to stay in the classroom. That's how grandma talked. I want him to stay in the classroom with regular folk and y'all give him what he needs right there. 
you know, grandma had the, you know, the DEI thing down in the 90s, right? You know, this diversity inclusion and what and what have you um, and, and being inclusive, et cetera. And they pushed back and said, you know, his grandmother's going to be a detriment to him. Uh, they they had her labeled as neglectful because she wouldn't support me going to a school for the blind. Uh, and then eventually, as I said earlier, we moved to Fairfax County, Virginia and met some teachers who really you know, who really dug into me. But long story made short, um, my grandmother turned out to be right. She pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed and make sure that the assistive technology was given to me in place, you know, in, in mainstream schooling to where, you know, I, I, I did well and I went to college, et cetera. And grandma was right. And the, the specialists in this particular case were wrong. So I, I look at that to get back to your point, Liz, you know, that acceptance and how, how deeply important community is. So why don't we let, let's talk a little bit about assistive technology because we're most of us here are a bit of a assistive technology geeks. Um, Some bigger geeks than others. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying, sorry. It's true. <laughs> um, but so can you give us a few examples of, of things that you sort of discovered as a kid um, that kind of really blew your mind? Because what we often find with assistive technology is that nobody really knows anything about assistive technology until the day they use it. And even then, it can take a while to actually discover uh, what's out there and what's available. So yeah, kind of walk us through the, that journey for you early on. So in 1998, when I was introduced to the drum roll, please, <laughs> the Braille and Speak, Still have one that works. <laughs> Used to repair them. <laughs> I feel I'm 35, but now even just saying that, I'm like, oh, wow, dude, that, that's, that's a lifetime ago in the technology world. Can you braille and speak ready? Yep. <laughs> I, I have partied with both Dean and Brian Blazy. <laughs> so I'll tell you, you know, being 11 and 12 years old and being, you know, introduced to that and being able to write with it and then have what I what I what I've written reproduced in either print or braille. I think was absolutely amazing, right? And that's when I realized that, oh, this is this is cool. There might be a world that exists outside of, um, you know, you guys, now audiobooks are like super professional, but you know, way back when, you know, the audiobooks, you know, they, and, God, and God bless them, because we loved, you know, loved that the people would do that. But, you know, it was different people and, you know, they'd be drinking their coffee while they're reading and turning pages <laughs> and stuff and clearing their throat. You know, it was yeah. just a little different. So it's like, yeah, system technology is definitely a step up from that. And then I was, um, as, as I said earlier, my family was had bouts of uh, a major destitution. So um, there were times where we were living in, in uh, roach infested motels. And so the school you know, knew that. Um, and in a way to sort of set Mario on this path, once once I woke up and I had a thirst for knowledge, um, they set me up to learn how to use uh, JAWS, to learn how to word process and, you know, do some minimal uh, emailing and minimal, uh, you, you know, web searches or what was available then in 2000. And I started with drum roll please jaws 3.7 oh you, you, you got you. in late <laughs> 3.2 here hey. one you started with one you started with one <laughs> 
so and I got like four hours at a time of just one-on-one training with uh he's a big shot at at the level access now who probably doesn't really remember I exist but John Avila um was working for a group named Bartimaeus at that time and uh you know they were they were doing training um and, you know, obviously as a kid, it was lost on me that Bartimaeus was the name of a blind guy in the Bible, you know, <laughs> but now it's like, yeah, <laughs> it all works. Um, and then, you know, I, I what I find is that with being introduced to assistive technology and realizing that technology was a language I understood and that could that 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 and that could provide opportunities for me as a way to escape the abuse that was around me and the destitution when I became a teenager my favorite pastime was to just aimlessly learn how the internet worked. So I would be studying HTML, right? Just for the heck of it, to to learn how the internet worked. And I had no idea that in years later, you know, outside of Hollywood, that all of that training I did and learning I did in teaching myself and studying HTML would come into play. Um, and then I had a whole career as as an accessibility specialist, right? You know, obviously uh, being able to ascertain issues with applications and websites, and you know, telling de- telling developers what to do and how to remediate things and all, all that type of stuff. So I feel like all of that, you know, th- this whole theme of this conversation still goes back to that whole you know how transformative the experience could be. You know what I mean? Um, technology led to all of that. Well, and I feel like the and, and Ryan and Steve can can jump in here and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I really feel like that that period in the 90s was was a real period of of a lot of growth in terms of assistive technology, mainly just because technology was was growing quite a bit. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we had to we it wasn't I mean, the growth in the AT was driven by the fact that things were changing so quickly, you know. Windows 3.1 came out, everybody had been using DOS previously. And and for a long time, people were saying, oh, this will never be accessible. There's just <laughs> no way to make this accessible. I heard it from numerous programmers who were, who were in the accessibility field. And then somebody did. And it's like, oh, okay, maybe it could be accessible. So it yeah, was, so uh, I, it was I a painful at, time. Yeah, I look at that and then look all the way to now to where... You know, I love Apple, right? Albeit, I don't know why, you know, their screen reader system is just so much more complicated than the others. <laughs> um, it's like, it, you know, they didn't have to do it that way, but it's like, yeah, let's, you know, let's do a four key, four key combination for something that only takes two presses on the windows, but it is what it is. But because of assistive technology, we can do amazing things. You know, I'll tell you recently, you know, I am an in- independent um, artist and I've done um, pop inspirational music forever. Um, but for a while, everyone said, well, why don't you go into R&B? Why don't you do an R&B song? You know, it's, it's, it's it, it, interesting. They say it could, be, it could be a play on the fact that, you know, you work out all the time. You look like a, a Greek god, you know, and I said, well, I'll take your word for it. So why don't you just do R&B? I said, well, that's kind of gimmicky, but, you know, do R&B, right? Because you can write, you, you write music, you love it. And I do love R&B. Um, and so I actually, uh, this year, you know, and, and this is why I love love opportunity and love accessibility and love assistive technology so much. Um, I was able to learn the, uh, you know, there are, there are two uh, audio production softwares, and I'm pretty sure you guys are obviously aware of all of this, that are, you know, that are pretty popular um, in the industry. We look at Pro Tools, we look at, um, you know, Logic, and there are several others out there. But 
um, Logic and Pro Tools being two top contenders, obviously. So I was able to learn Logic through and through, right? And while in so doing, was able to, you know, end, for the first time, independently record, mix, engineer, master my master a, a song completely by myself, right? And, you know, all of these things as a blind person, right? I, I wear it as a badge of honor because anytime we can show some degree of independence, it's great. So I sent the, when I was done, I sent the song to, you know, the people I work with in Hollywood who I, you know, had always been doing my mixing and, and stuff for years. And they, they got jealous and said, you know, wow, this, this, this is an incredible mix. You know, you went somewhere else. Where'd you go? And I said, I did it. And I said, really? And then so when we met up for a studio session, you know, they said, so what is this software you're talking about? I said, you know, you have a Mac, let's pull it up. We pulled it up and they say to me in the studio, right? They go, oh man, excuse my French. They go, oh man, I, this is incredible. They were blown away. But, and they said, honestly, when you said you did that yourself, it sounded so incredible that we thought you were bullshitting. It's like, no. Yeah. No, you know, so it's, 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 I, I mentioned that to say one of the things that we do as advocates and, and, and is we always work hard to, def to defy diminished expectations because you guys know for us, there's nothing worse than having a chorus of naysayers say, oh, you can't do that and blind people can't do this and shouldn't do that and et cetera. And you always feel like there's like this, this, we're, we always feel like we're undoing, right? Preconceived notions, et cetera, or tearing down barriers, et cetera. So um, being able to destroy diminished expectations is one of the things that I, that I, that I love doing. And that's me through and through. Yeah, it's so interesting. You know, um, this whole idea of tearing down barriers, because the really ironic thing is that you only have to tear down a barrier because you built the thing with a barrier in the first place. Like, Ooh, I love it, that. It, yeah. You know, it's, it, it's, it's funny, you know, it, it just goes to show you that anything can be accessible. You just have to think about accessibility when you're building it uh, is really what it comes down to. A lot of times when something, a piece of software or an app is quote inaccessible, it's just because that's the way it's been built. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we scream from the rooftops all the time that, you know, really the key to the key to true accessibility is just, you know, getting developers on board and getting them to understand how to build something that's accessible. You know, I don't it's, know it's, if I believe that, though, Rob, I, I think the makers of Logic and Pro Tools should should give us free copies so that we can test it out for ourselves. <laughs> I'm just, you know, I'm just that would be. Yeah, you know. <laughs> It's true. You know Plus the you. old hey, if it's free, it's for me. That's <laughs> right. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely, and that's that's what I would hope. But but you're definitely onto something. Something, Rob, is that I always say, you know, we've got this wonderful phrase, universal design, right? It's and how can you take that from just being a phrase and it just being a default operative in development? Period. You know what I mean? So it actually means something where something is universally designed, where it's going to address the needs of all audiences without having to, you know, make caveat for this and caveat for that. That's right. I mean, and really, you know, all of this, all of these concepts are, are all still fairly new. I mean, it's really easy to forget that, you know, what it was 2009, the first generation of the iPhone came out and for two years, it was completely inaccessible. And in fact, you know, we, we were looking at it and going, well, the, the, 
yeah how can a, how can somebody who's blind ever use this this thing like it's completely inaccessible um but then you know two years later they you know they they put their thinking caps on they went back to the drawing board and they built in all that accessibility and that really sort of innovated the entire industry going forward you know but i was i was scared though because when my other blind friends told me they had it i told i you know i told them i said you're an idiot why do you have that you know you can talk to your friends like that and i said no i used to get one i said no you're an idiot why would i like why would I get an iphone i'd, I'd like my buttons and, and 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 being sure of you know what i'm doing and etc and then it was done so well when i got one i never looked back <laughs> you know, and so it's one of those things where, again, the innovation and in technology, right? When you think about the touchscreen experiences was originally developed to help those with uh, with mobility uh, disabilities, obviously. But it's something that is mainstream that helped that now, you know, helps everyone. And, you know, the iPhone, you know, because of its accessibility, I mean, it's like, you know, you guys know this. People find it so shocking that as blind people, we practically do everything that they do. I mean, my family just found out, just found out, you know, I, I, I held my hand, I held my phone in front of my face last week because I was trying to do the face ID to, you know, authenticate for the app store or something like that. And my sister goes, what are you doing? Oh, I thought you were about to take a selfie. I was about to say, <laughs> you forgot you're blind. And I said, actually, I can take a selfie. Mm -hmm. What do you mean? I said, oh, yeah, voiceover. If I go into the camera, it will announce the facial positioning to me so I can know whether my face is in frame or not. And, of course, they were stunned. And these guys have been around me as a computer geek forever. But I, I look at things like that. You know what I mean? We talk about the innovation, innovation of technology. Now, granted, even though it does that, I still don't take my own selfies because <laughs> I need to make sure the lighting's good and that people know that I'm, you know, you know that I'm uh, chocolate brown, right? You know, I just want to make sure. <laughs> yeah, no, but it's true. Like for for a lot of people, and then you quote mainstream, they have no idea that you know somebody who's blind can navigate through a computer just as well as they can, uh, and they have been able to do that for many many years. I, I look at this because it, what that reminds me of is that when I started at the U.S. Department of Transportation right after leaving George Mason, I was placed in charge of a small scale technology help desk. So I was in charge of payroll, and I was in charge of you know, uh, assigning tickets to staff and tracking their ability, et cetera. Now, of course, this is for the, get this, I was working for the Civil Rights Office in the U.S. Department of Transportation. And in this office, everybody was mortified that a 23-year-old blind man <laughs> was put in charge of their payroll and was asking them questions <laughs> and, and following their work product, et cetera. And it's like, yeah, the technology is allowing me to do it. <laughs> So, okay, well, let, let's talk a little bit about music, because uh, I'm really curious to know how you sort of got into that and, and how sort of your, your vision maybe contributed to, to that, that passion that you, you sort of grew. Well, honestly, that is, that's a great question. So before I went blind, I was really good at drawing. Yeah, so drawing was such a great pastime for me um, and a talent that I, I, you know, as seven, eight, nine years old, I was winning national awards, et cetera. Um, and I think one of the, you know, we talk about my father, one of the most painful memories I, I have was 
you know, winning money from the National Playhouse for a painting I had done. And, and my father, in one of his rare visits, he took that painting. Um, and then he took the winnings, the, the money that I won as well, and, uh, you know, used it for drugs, right? As opposed to this, you know, hopeful blind eight-year-old who just wanted trucks, right? Um, but when I went blind, obviously, I couldn't draw anymore. Right. I, I couldn't. Sure. Of course, we can do some abstract stuff and you can take wiki sticks. You guys remember wiki sticks <laughs> and use those to uh, shape things. But I couldn't see anymore. And so I feel like what was a visual art then translated into an auditory art. And that's when really an obsession with music started. Now, I, I don't know if it's because I had vision before, but sound um, has color to me, right? Songs have a mood and that mood translates to a color. The piano has a color. Every every sound has a, translates to a color to me. Um, and so my mind's eye, if you will, is always painting pictures based on what I hear. And so first I fell in love with the piano, then the guitar, then the drums. And at 12 years old, as a blind kid, I was playing the drums for the gospel choir um, at my church. And then I auditioned for a performing arts high school in Forestville, Maryland, um, called Suitland High School Visual for the Visual for the Visual and Performing Arts. And Get, my mother and father had two sets of twins, two single-born children, and a set of triplets. I'm in the triplets, so there's two girls in me, um, which is you know one of the reasons why I was tortured watching the having to listen to the real world as a blind kid growing up. But don't tell my sisters I said that <laughs> on, on on MTV. But um, my sisters were really good singers. Um, we all three of us auditioned for Suitland, and we got in. And at Suitland. I was a piano major. My sisters were vocal majors. I, I wasn't singing. I wasn't doing that at all. I, I didn't know I could sing. Um, I only I only played the piano. And then I held my older brother who was in into music, et cetera. And when I started like writing, when I started writing songs and trying to play with singing, um, I would put, to get, put together these tracks on his Triton keyboard and he would go in and quantize them and, you know, get all the timing right, make them perfect. I mean, when we talk about this today, the songs were awful. And I said, tell them, why did you tell me that those songs were awful? He said, I just wanted to encourage you. It was my job to encourage you. To encourage you. They weren't awful. And, and now that I'm older and I've, and I've done professional songwriting, et cetera, um, I say it again, I really do believe that music has he had healing power. So I discovered that I could sing when I was in college. Um, you know, when I you, would, you know, do events at, at, at churches or uh, inspirational events at my college and, you know, people were crying. Um, you know, once I was sure that they were crying because they liked the sound and it wasn't because they were hoping I shut up. Then I, <laughs> then I realized that I was, that I was onto something. No, Mario, Mario, I have no idea of what you're saying. You have this uh, velvety tenor voice that, uh, that yeah, you were absolutely born with that. But 
but really like you never sang in the shower. Like no one said, holy cow, I got, you have an amazing voice. Like, no, I, I don't know how you as, could, how it could take so as long. As a teenager, when I would do stuff like that, they would tell me to shut up. And it's really funny. It's really funny that now my brother comes to me all the time and he's, cause my, my brother is the, is the music teacher at Eastern high school, which is a, it's this renowned high school in DC. And I wrote a song called Steel, um, S-T-E-E-E-L, because I believe that, you know, you know, if you look at yourself like steel, you can never be destroyed, right? And, and self-empowerment is important. He liked that song so much that he turned it into a graduation song for the senior for the seniors at his school, and they used it for graduation for three years. It was a very humbling experience. But um, he came to me and says to me, how'd you become a singer in the family? Because it was supposed to be my sister's. And now that I can, you know, I can belt and, you know, do vocal runs and do all of this stuff. I, it's like, I don't know where this stuff came from, but, I, but I'm, I'll be honest with you. I see it as a gift, right? I see it as a gift and I see it. I think it's a gift to have the ability to be a gift to other people. Right. And I don't know what I would do if I didn't have you know, the ability to sing because I now granted anyone who lives with a singer, they might not, they might not say the same thing because honestly, we're always singing. Um, <laughs> if music is playing, we're always harmonizing with it or rewriting it. <laughs> um, but I, I, that's, you know, I, I, I ran the, the, the run of the shows, right. Of trying to audition for this, that, and the other thing, you know, American Idol, the voice, you name it. And then I auditioned for the Glee Project in 2012, um, and they ended up casting me. Now, again, we talk about those barriers. Being casted for that, you know, I was so sure that they were ju that they just had two blind people in the casting special because they were just trying to show that they were paying attention to the ADA. Because the two things that they, one of the things that they did not associate with blind people is the ability to dance. And so I, I never forget this. I talk about this in the, in, the, in the speeches where, you know, the professional choreographer, to be on this show, you had to be able to sing, you had to be able to act, and you had to be able to dance. The professional choreographer took me and the other blind guy and taught us the dance, but it turned out to be 1% of the dance, right? Step forward, step back, snap your finger, step forward, you know. But I'm an ambitious guy. And I sought out, once I was told that I, I did not know the dance, I sought out another hopeful who probably to this day regrets what I do, regrets what he did. And I asked them to teach me the real dance, right? All the spins, the dips, the, you know, I, I wanted to know the entire choreography. And I worked hard all night long. And the next day when it was time to audition the actual dance piece of it, I did the routine with everyone else at the same time in step with character and everything. And so it was like one of those things where I worked my ass off to say, okay, can he sing? Check. Can he act? Maybe. But can he dance? That was a category where there was supposed to be a no. But now there had to be some degree of reconsideration because now it was going to be good TV for this blind person that can that can dance. So again, that goes back to my my theme of the diminished expectations, et cetera. And so after the Glee project, uh, that's when I ended up in this, you know, the sort of pop inspirational um, type things that I've been doing. And, and the single that we just released at the beginning of July is called Chocolate. Um, I'll, I'll explain that. So I, I am an African-American. Um, I am a very dark skinned individual. Um, my complexion is, is generally described as chocolate. But as a kid, 
you know, not the kid, as if kids don't have enough to contend with. As a kid, I was bullied, right? I was bullied for being dark skin. I was, you know, bullied for being blind. I was bullied for being articulate, right? And so, and being bullied for being dark skin, um, and this came from the black community, right? Mostly came from the black black community of, you know, being being bullied for being a darker skinned individual. So with the push to to go into R&B, however, temporarily, I thought that it would be an interesting play on, I was bullied for being dark skinned. And then as an older adult, you know, as a, a teenager, an older adult, the very same thing I was bullied for is the number one thing people find uniquely attractive about me, right? So going into R&B, I said, you know what, I'm going to write a titillating, bold song called Chocolate that celebrates that in my own sexuality of being proud of being chocolate and saying, yep, I'm blind and I'm chocolate and you want it. <laughs> so, I <had> a... <laughs> so and, and that's the song that I, you know, recorded uh, with uh, on Logic and, and the music video for it just hit a million views on Facebook. I'm shocked. Oh, wow. But it's yeah, it just hit a, hit a, a million views on on Facebook, and I'm very humbled humbled by that. Um, but it, you guys have probably pick, picked up that I'm a I'm a message guy, so it's probably like, gee, you just say going to R and B, and the guy writes a love ballad and still finds there to be a deep seated message behind it. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> but that's what I did. <laughs> Man, well, hey, well, so listen, we spent 40 minutes uh, last week uh, talking about um, a macadamia uh, nut milk, milk <laughs> substitute. Um, so our, our new sponsor may be uh, milk. So maybe we can collaborate and, and uh, create a song called Chocolate Milk. <laughs> hey, 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 I'm with it. <laughs> so can you, can you talk to us a little bit about that? that experience like the the glee project specifically and sort of what was it like it was gruesome um i'll be honest it was like it was almost like hollywood jail because it was a reality show um i, I realized that you know it's you know the whole point <clears throat> for reality tv is that you have to you have to have some talent yes for that show but the other piece of it is you want to get people in a state of emotional hypersensitivity so that you can get good tv and there's we're all you know competing against each other but we're supposed to be friends building friendships as well etc and you can't communicate you with your family right we couldn't communicate with our family say for one phone call a week while you're in Hollywood, um, essentially working hard day and night to put the best sense of yourself out there in hopes that you'll win a competition so that someone can be inspired to write a part about you, right? That was going to be the reward, that if you won the Glee Project, you'd have a seven-episode arc on Glee when it was on the air, et cetera. Um, and it's interesting that I said to myself, you know, uh, this is supposed to be 12 episodes. I'm going to stick around for at least six episodes. And at least I will have been in front of America for six weeks. Um, I was not one of those guys that would say or could say how high when they would say jump. Right now, the experience of it is was was amazing as well, because to be a totally blind person 
they're on a Hollywood set and I'm like, just like a sighted individual where in my private time or the time I'm supposed to be using, I'm going over dance steps and dance counts and all that sort of stuff. And learning the choreography faster than the other, other than the sighted individuals that were there. And that was not something in my, it, you know, struggling in the competition for dancing was not something that, that I struggled with as a blind person. And it wasn't because I was blind and they were giving me a pass. It was because of what I proved during that casting special. So I, I found the experience to be, I found it to be empowering for the most part. And I also found it to be a confirmation of, of my talent that I was thankful that the world took me seriously. Um, I, I, I think that we do, we do live in a sighted world. We do live, live in a sighted world of gimmicks and we do live in a sighted world of the superficial. Um, I find it ridiculous when people, you know, say, oh, he was only let on the Glee project because he was blind and he was cute. Um, I don't like that. That I didn't like things like like that. But those when they got it that like I was a talented individual who got on the Glee project who happened to be blind. Right. We all that that's the way we would prefer. Right. That's the way right. you make sure that you keep the human aspect to it. You know what I'm saying? Um so, so I, I all everything that I've said shows you that it was, that it was a it was a myriad of of emotions and and an experience doing the gay project. I first called it Hollywood Jail because it was you you think about it, you can't talk to your family but once a week, um for ten minutes at that, you know it's it's it, but if you had you know had your support network to debrief and guess what they did today and can you believe that person did you know it was, it was interesting. And, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you guys this. Um, I'll, I'll tell you this in terms of what they live for for the super sensitivity. Uh, you know, on the Glee project, there was a, another girl there from Michigan who wasn't doing well with the being away from home, et cetera. And she was a bit of a bully. And I'm a very, I'm a very sweet guy. I'm not a bully, but and I'm like kind of like, can we all just get along and you know sort of be, you know, all just get along and sort of be nice to each other. Um, and I made a comment that, oh, geez, she should stop bullying everyone because the directors can see that and that's going to ruin her chances. Well, she didn't like that Mario gave his two cents. Um, and so when we got back to the casting house, this girl, I mean, she went off on me. She was screaming and going off and I couldn't believe that I had worked so hard to get to Hollywood and I was on the Hollywood set in a cast house and I was being screamed at like I was some guy in the street mm. and I have feelings too. So I said to her, I said, I worked too damn hard to get to Hollywood than to be treated like this by a second rate diva. It was the wrong thing to say to her. It's what came <laughs> out because I'm human too. It was the, it was the, it was the wrong thing to say. She actually came after me physically. Wow. And yeah, she, you know, I'm in the boys' casting room and I heard her rushing down the hallway. And me as a blind guy, I stood up and started putting on my shoes because I'm like, I'm, you know, I'm having to calculate what am I going to have to do? If she comes around the door, I'm going to have to grab her and put her through this wall. Yeah, I didn't know what I was very scared. And, you know, because when I said that, she said, second rate diva, I got your second rate diva. I mean, she was just bag i don't know what was wrong with her she was it was definitely some mental stuff going on right yeah and i was like whoa and again i was just stuck on our work 
you know, I done been rejected from American Idol and rejected from this like a lot of people are. It's like, I worked too damn hard to get to Hollywood. To be... <laughs> and wow. so that's why I say that it was it was an experience. Some people were cut out for that hypersensitive inducing experience like this fish out of water. Um, you know, the other the other shows, they make sure that you're, you know, full of spirits. Right. But not on yeah. this show. But it was just still that fish out of water thing to get good TV. Oh, God. So those are some of the things that stick out to me about the Glee wow. Project. And it actually, I've never talked about this this story publicly, actually. <laughs> so <laughs> wow. so second rate diva, if you're out there, send us an email. Let us know. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, but I said I'm human, too, right? It was like, I shouldn't have said it. But I'm like, what? It's just kind of like... I always thought that was like the big rule on the reality shows is that you guys can fight and cry and scream, but no one can lay a finger on an another contestant. Yeah, you're not supposed to. And the Glee Project was supposed to be, and and that was, and so this part, did, I was thankful this part didn't make it to air. They kind of, you know, they they got, they sent her home after that, right? And on air, they made it look like she had, you know, was, you know, she called her mom and said she was homesick and the competition is too much or whatever, but it was still traumatizing for me, which is why I'm finally talking about it. Mm -hmm. um, that my first Hollywood experience, uh, you know, if I if I can say it in, in, in the way a comedian would, um, my first Hollywood experience almost ended with me getting my ass kicked. <laughs> <laughs> There's worse ways to to be in Hollywood, right? Yeah. Well, hey, listen, Mario. Think about how what what wonders it did for Chris Rock's career. You know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, here we go. The slap that shut down the academy. Absolutely. Yep. Right. So, you know, given all of these experiences that you've had. How do you kind of roll all of that together in terms of, you know, when you speak to, to kids or you speak to, to other people, what's kind of the overarching message that you sort of try to try to, you know, give out? And, and honestly, every event is very personal to me. It usually, you know, usually when you're requested to come and do a speech or do a keynote and my agent and I, we've sort of rebranded things because my my keynotes have always been different from everyone else's mine we realize have interestingly been productions, if you will, because it's always been, it's a keynote, but it's unique because I, I intersperse music into it. Right. So I might begin with a music number and then there's, you know, there's script and a music number and then script and then, you know, a, a finale music number, maybe some videos in, in the middle, that kind of thing. Um, I say that to say that the, that the messages are always personalized depending on what the uh, client's theme is, but, what has been a reoccurring theme, or if you will, reoccurring keynote or motivational speaking topic for me, are uh, you know the, the following: overcoming adversity, to putting odds in your favor, um, you know life's life's box of chocolate, you know diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, a play on my my uh, childhood memoir, uh, without sight but full of vision, and what that means. Um, redefining what redefining what it means to have a disability, or you know, because I'm a, you know a, a father. Who this is a whole story we could talk to about another time if you guys have time. <laughs> a father who is crazy enough to adopt four kids. <laughs> I love my oh kids. Oh my god! 
<laughs> yes, I adopt, adopted two older ones and two younger ones. And the two older ones think I know everything. And the two younger the, the two older ones don't think I know anything. They think I'm an, I'm an unmitigated <laughs> idiot. And the younger <laughs> ones think I know everything, which means that um, since I'm stuck between those two worlds, I'm doing a good job. <laughs> right. I, so legally at 35, I have a 21-year-old son, a 19-year-old oh, son. Wow. Uh, a, tw- a, a 12 year uh, well he's just turned 13 last week a 13 year old son and a 10 year old son and so some of the speaking engagements I, I do for foster care agencies and nonprofit social services wow. etc it, it it sort of runs the gamut I, I do I do love all those messages it's so important to impart to people especially in the disability community that um, don't you know? Never let anybody tell you that you can't do something. I think the the most poignant sort of message that somebody ever uh, said here on the show: everybody has their own mountain to climb. And it's mm-hmm. I love that. Know, yeah, it, it's it, actually it, summit. Everyone summit, has their own summit. Yeah. Right. Yes. You know, I think that sometimes we we feel like disability has to be painted in a way of oh, this person you know did all these incredible, amazing things despite them having a disability. And that's, that can be, I can see that being intimidating because for somebody who's just maybe doesn't feel like they have a, you know, an incredible innate talent, that doesn't matter. It, whatever they're passionate about, if it's, you know, you can, you, if, if you're overcoming your fear to just take the bus and go grocery shopping on your own for the first time, hell, that's just as valuable. Yeah, and I and I can tell you the reverse of that is too much of that can actually feel dehumanizing to us as as disabled individuals. It it it, it really can because uh, you know I'll be honest. I I left LA Fitness this morning after a swim, and you know there was a guy where you know we appreciate we appreciate the sentiments that people give, but there's a point when it becomes excessive, where you know I said you know thank yous man I appreciate what you said thank you thank you, but there's this guy that he's standing for he's like. I don't see this. I don't see this. I go to a lot of gyms and I don't see this, man. So God bless you for being out here, man. You putting us all to shame. Like, I don't see this. I go to a lot of gyms and it's so just mm. like, you're literally out here and you're literally doing this. And I'm like, well, man, thank you. I appreciate that, man. And he goes on and on and on and on. Yeah. on. So at some point it's it, it, it to the disabled person. It becomes, well, what am I saying? Thank you for. Yeah. Right. You lose sight of really what you're supposed to be saying. Thank you for it. Now, granted, you know, we appreciate that maybe he was going through something. And the fact that he's seen a disabled person, you know, living living their best life with maybe if he was in the same case, he wouldn't have. Uh, you know, we can get that. But still, I think it, it's just a tough it's a, it's a tough place to find to try and find some middle road, because like I said, yeah. too much of it could be yeah. dehumanizing because I joked about it. But right after that, I. Lift driver pulls up, he yells out the window, you know, you lift for Mario. And I said, yes, yes, it's for me. And, you know, I listened to the car engine to judge how, where he was facing. I walked around the car because I'm listening to the engine so I can go to the door that's on the opposite side of the driver because that's why I, re- I prefer to sit the opposite passenger side in the back. Um, I felt for the door handle, opened it, and, you know, the driver goes, you did good. You did really good opening <laughs> yeah. the door, you know, and it's, it's, it's just one of those things where it's like, you know, I don't, I don't think I deserve a badge of honor because I was able to open a car door, but it's just, you know, yeah. it's, it's just, it's just hard. 
it's just really hard to find the middle road because <laughs> some of it, even though even though we know people don't mean it, it 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 can sometimes be a little dehuman dehumanizing. We've had people on that that have talked about that very thing, you know, and in, you're absolutely right. It can be dehumanizing because really, the, what we want to do is treat everybody the same because everybody's human, and you know what? Sometimes you you just want to get from point A to point B and you don't want to have to be somebody's motivation or somebody's inspiration that particular day. You just want to get home and take a shower. Yeah. That, I think, I think that that says it all, right? It's like, gee, I just broke up with my girlfriend. I don't feel like answering questions about how blind people <laughs> shampoo their hair. That's right. <laughs> That's right. So I'm going to go cry in my jello like everybody else. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And so, uh, you know, I'll get I'll get people that are amazed that I that I you know, say, oh, the elevator's over here, you know. So I'm fine taking the stairs, really. And you said, yeah. You said, well, goddamn, he actually walked down the damn stairs. <laughs> it's, like, it's like what? It's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. And I'm like, you know, I've done cooler stuff than walk down the stairs. Can we have a call? Can we like talk for a second? That's right. <laughs> Well, you know, yeah. and that's, and like you were saying, we, there is that fine line that we don't really know exactly where it is and how best to approach it as a community at large, because like, you know, maybe that person who saw you go down the stairs is now that their perception is now changed after that interaction. And they're like, well, no, I never thought it. Cause I, maybe they don't run into a lot of blind people, but I've, I've even had the reverse situation where I got out of a car and took out my cane so you know can get into the store and i actually had someone yell from a passing car that i you're not blind i just saw you get out of that car you got out of there no problem you ain't blind and i was like wow <laughs> but, oh my god but, i i hate that so it's it's like okay wait so one minute you're too blind to do anything and then next minute you're not blind enough that you know i shouldn't so it's it it it, it goes both ways and you feel like you know either way you just you can't win so it's how, like okay how about, the, how about the shallow piece of it that there's no way i could be totally blind because because i'm so fit how about that <laughs> as as as, that, as crazy oh. as that sounds you know what? I'm sorry, Mario. That is just an excuse for strange women to put their hands on you. They're like, well, I, I need to feel these muscles for myself. You know, honestly, well, my that's best a, friend told that's me that's a pickup line. I, well, my best friend told me that too, but I'm, I can be naive sometimes. Hey. <laughs> I can be super, super naive sometimes. So yeah, probably, probably so. Well, although they've told me that in times where it's like I've been, I've been walking with my cane and talking on the phone. I'm like, I'm laughing and having a really good time. And then, and then someone will stop me and say, I'm sorry, do you need any help? And I'm like, I'm laughing and talking on the phone. Do I look like I'm lost? What do you mean? <laughs> That's right. So, yeah. Well, thank you guys so much. If you get a chance, check out chocolate. I'd love to know what you guys think about it. <laughs> oh, most definitely. And listen, please come back anytime. We'd be happy to see you. I mean, we, we, I feel like we could talk to you for another hour easily. Where can people find you online? Where can, where can they find your music? Uh, plug away, sir. Absolutely. Well, the music is available everywhere. You can stream Chocolate by Mario Bonds. I also released a Spanish version of the song, which interestingly is called Amor con Chocolate, which is love with chocolate. 
um, to sort of, you know, self-empowerment, et cetera. You can follow me on facebook.com slash Mario Bonds, youtube.com slash Mario Bonds. That's spelled B-O-N-D-S, like James Bond with an S. Instagram, Mario underscore Bonds. And TikTok, Mario underscore Bonds. So thank you so much. I'd love to know what you guys think of chocolate when you hear it. Fantastic. Well, we will do. We will we'll be in touch. And uh, yeah, best sure. of luck Thanks, with Mario. everything. Thanks. Okay. Bye-bye. Thanks, Mario. Thanks, Mario. Bye-bye. Thanks, Mario. Telling you, chocolate milk, man, it's going to be a big, the next big hit. <laughs> chocolate milk? Milk? Milk. Chocolate I, I, milk. I guess I keep yeah. mispronouncing it. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to reach that. out to the milk people. No, I'm serious. Yeah, I think you should. I just send a link to that episode and be like, hey, give us free stuff. Like, listen, you can have all the free milk that they send us. Or at least you can have my Porsche. I can't speak for Ryan. But I don't you might want love it. it. So. If we didn't no, tell you what it was, okay. if we just listen, gave you I'm, half a glass and said, here, try I just this. want, I want the cash. I don't want well, okay. just the milk. I well, they're the... not going to give you cash. What do you, do you think they're going to give us cash? Well, they maybe. listen. sponsor I, us. Okay. Well, listen, I'm, I'm down with that too. Reach out. I can be bought. Can be bought. All of a sudden, you're going to become a fan after a week. I got to yeah. go back and no, listen No, totally. To you. Hey, everybody, <laughs> All of a sudden, this, you're this gonna... is Rob hey. Minot from the AT Banter Podcast, and I'm enjoying a big steaming glass of milk <laughs> right now. Steaming glass of milk. <laughs> are we going to do, like, pictures with us all with, like, milk mustaches? Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> got milk? Question mark? Hot chocolate milk. Yeah. I mean, listen. Malted milk. Yep. I'm down. Milkshakes. You pay me, I'll drink anything. <laughs> Strawberry milkshake. Yeah. So, wait, so we're supposed to be debriefing about Mario. I don't know. We immediately went to Malk again. We really do need to reach out to these guys. Since our frugal McDougal sponsorship folded. Yep. <laughs> All right. Well, very cool guy. Everybody go check out uh, Mario online and... Uh, that was a great show. We really enjoyed having him. Multi-talented. I don't know when the guy sleeps. I can't believe he adopted four kids. <laughs> Jeez, man. Where does he get the energy? Guy. Yeah, no kidding. Man, mm-hmm. he must drink a lot of milk. 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 Milk, whatever. <laughs> well, you'll probably you have a, a speech therapist. What, I and, uh, and about. And, well, the transcription is going to be all messed up. Milk and milk. And Chicks milk. love the Canadian accent. Do they? Sure. Maybe. I don't know. I think we like muscles better. Uh, whatever. You're shallow. <laughs> You're so shallow. You're so shallow. It's funny how we both said that. You can tell our yeah. age. Yeah, there you go. Uh, yeah, it says so that you go. men deficient in muscle. <laughs> hey, you're assuming. How do you I know? Be... Yeah, you don't know. You don't... Yeah, I get the sense. Yeah, you get well, the whatever. sense. Listen, could be huh. built like Henry Cavill. You don't know. Uh, all right, let's get out of here yep. before let's not stop talking about our muscles. Uh, hey, Liz. Uh, yeah. Rob. Where can people find us? I'm flexing right now. Where can people find us? Uh, well, you apparently seem to be in the bathroom, but the rest of us can be found at <laughs> hebanter.com. They can also drop us an email if they so desire at cowbell uh, at etbanter.com. 
And they can find us on Instagram and Twitter and Mastodon and sometimes on YouTube. And yeah. that's about it for now. And at the gym. That's right. Lifting our Pumping glasses iron. of milk. <laughs> I'm pumping We're milk. Lifting. <laughs> the milk, 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 ah, milk, milk. That's right. It makes you are strong. You the, are you the guy you that's like decked you, you out think... in the full workout suit with like the headband and yeah, the, the wristbands and, the wrist and everything? Band. And the, the headbands <laughs> are important. You gotta see. You don't want to get sweat in your eyes. It's and, not you're, your and you're and you're spending needs. all that time like stretching before you even get on the machine. Yeah, like, yeah I'm gonna just stretch for a little while. Totally. I I my whole body's in just one of those sweatbands because like, as soon as I as soon as I step on the bike, it just the bursts leotard. into sweat immediately before I even start pedaling. So yeah, Rob is part of the Blue Man Group. <laughs> leotard one piece suit, body suit. oh i see yeah. uh, i'm not painted blue however <laughs> uh, oh show's whack see it is you know i was thinking about i like i i actually had this conversation with me earlier i'm sorry to bring it back bring it back to malk i do that too i just i i was just like because uh, like in my head i was just like yeah we we should we should totally talk about the that nut milk uh company and i was like nut milk and they just call it nut milk and then i just in my head i was like oh yeah i guess probably that's probably somebody from marketing probably came up with that it, it was immediately squashed we're not calling our product nut milk <laughs> So that's why they call it plant-based milk alternative. So, there, you go. there you go. See, I'm learning. I'm learning a lot about about milk. Good over for the you, past Rob. Week. So yeah, there you go. Check you out. Impressive. Yeah, who knows? Maybe I might even buy a little container and try it in my coffee. I check oh, you don't out. Don't do it in your coffee. She already said don't put it in your coffee. Oh yeah, yeah that's you right. Won't, well, then you I don't like it in your for, coffee. What am I gonna do? Put it in my Rice Krispies? Yeah, you could put it in your cereal. Okay, well, maybe I'll try it. Yeah, oh, Rice Krispies. Oh, come on. You know you're a Captain Crunch or Cocoa Puffs. Lucky Charms. No, Lucky Charms. It has to have marshmallows in it. They're magically delicious. That's right. They are. The but of course you have to have the marshmallows. Yeah. Yeah, well, totally. Pink hearts, yellow moon, blue stars, and green clover. We look forward to hearing about your type 2 diabetes yeah, you, you'll just, <laughs> you'll, just you'll, you'll just have to read the coroner's report. <laughs> <laughs> We won't need to. We'll know. <laughs> no, exactly. We'll, Local we'll man fill the, found we'll dead. We'll fill them in. <laughs> True. You're like, um, there's purple horseshoes in his stomach contents. <laughs> All the purple food dye. <laughs> oh, God. All right, let's get out of here. Uh, that is going to about do it for us this week. Uh, big thanks, of course, to Mario for joining us. And we will see everybody next week. This podcast has been brought to you by Canadian Assistive Technology, providing low vision and blindness solutions across Canada. Find us online at www.canastech.com. That's C-A-N-A-S-S-T-E-C-H.com. Or call us toll-free at 1-844-795-8324. For all your assistive technology servicing needs, call Chaos Technical Services at 778 778- 847-6840 or find them online at chaostechnicalservices.com. <laughs>